Welcome to Teaching at the Speed of Sound, the podcast about sound teaching practices in a fast-paced world. I am Kat of Gibby Teaches. I am Aubrey of Aubrey Teaches. And today we are going to talk about cognitively guided math instruction, basically all about our favorite subject, math. So let's zoom into the show. You know what I just realized that we look like sitting here? I look like I'm like in the FBI. Like, yeah, we're like we're surveying these like people. Like I have someone surveying or something. I have my headphones on. I said on. surveying. Thank you for my drink. We're surveilling these people right here in this house. We got those direction finders so we can hear what they're saying inside their house. two okay um yeah let's talk about our drink orders first and get that out of the way because we're at sonic again of course yeah we're at a different sonic location yeah this and there one, are a lot of loud trucks at this one yeah I'm just this saying. is some truck people we're I'm in not a gonna say, town. i'm not gonna say this the town we're in yeah but oh there we go there if go. you're from oklahoma you probably know <laughs> there's actually a lot of tr- truck towns so they probably <laughs> They're going to be true. like guessing eight different towns and we're going to be Why like, no, all no, so loud. No. Anyway, here's my drink order. I ordered a classic and I know it's a classic because if any of my old high school buddies are listening right now, which they probably aren't, but <laughs> I might call them and tell them to listen, that they will know this order because this is the order that we got every day when we left school and we went to the Sonic. I got a vanilla Coke with cream, which I always thought was the weirdest thing until I tried it, but if anybody out there has ever, like, watched Laverne and Shirley, which that's telling my age for a, a lot of people, but she always drank Pepsi and Coke, I mean, Pepsi and milk, and I always thought that was the weirdest thing until I tried cream in my Coke, and it's really good. Now go ahead. What's your order? Well, I got a plain vanilla Sprite. <laughs> Usually, I, if I get it, I'll get cream in it as well, but this time I just got vanilla Sprite. Which tastes a lot like if you've ever had like a vanilla Italian soda from an Italian restaurant. Tastes a lot Mm, like that. Yum. So we both went very vanilla today. We are. (laughs) That's saying something bad, I think, but. (laughs) Okay, I just want to say something really quick. Okay. This is is Correction Corner. Correction Corner. Yeah, that sounds good. We're getting sued. Okay, go on. Is that somebody else's? Well, I correct people all the time. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) It has been brought to my attention by a concerned citizen that in our last episode, which was actually our first episode ever, I had a habit of saying amazing <laughs> a lot. Amazing. Okay. I'm going to take so, all the clips of the last episode Oh yeah. you said amazing. Well, no, I'm, I'm going to say, this was the suggestion that we made. This was the suggestion someone had, is if you want to listen again and play a drinking game, then you're probably going to get drunk and, you know... You're welcome, or I'm sorry, however <laughs> you are looking on that. But I'm going to say a small, like, public service announcement here. I do not endorse drinking games at all, so we're going to say that. <laughs> I do not recommend playing a drinking game. But anyway, you can edit that out. Okay, so now on to today's challenge. Today's challenge is I'm not going to say that word for the rest of today. So if you're a Harry Potter fan, you'll understand. Now I'm going to start calling that word the word that shall not be said. And if you're not a Harry Potter fan, then I don't understand. But that's another story. Okay. (laughs) So what do teachers do when a student writes the same word over and over? Well, we always introduce them to the wonderful world of the thesaurus and the many lovely synonyms that they could use instead. So I looked it up. And it's a... hmm, Never mind. It's a really 
astonishing how many there are. So here's my list. I'm going to go through it really quick. And I told Aubrey I'd be really quick, but she's looking at me like I'm not being really quick. So <laughs> here's my list of alternate words for today. Astonishing, astounding, surprising, bewildering, stunning, staggering, shocking, startling, stupefying. I love that one. Breathtaking, perplexing, confounding, dismaying, disconcerting, shattering, awesome, awe-inspiring, sensational, remarkable, spectacular, stupendous, phenomenal, prodigious, extraordinary, incredible, unbelievable, wonderful, marvelous, thrilling, excited, exciting, informal, mind-blowing, flabbergasting, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, amazeballs, wondrous, rare, and dumbfounding. Okay. And I think I thought after I read all those that, wow, we have a lot of words that mean basically the same thing in our language, which either makes our language really beautiful and multifaceted or just really difficult to learn. So probably both. It's flabbergasting. So, uh, and I just want one more thing. If that is my signature word, then I'd say it's a pretty good one. Okay. On some other day, I might even say it's an amazing one, but not today. <laughs> I won't say that today. So, you know, if that is my go-to word, that's pretty good. It could have been some depressing word like regurgitation or phlegm or cacophony. Anyway, you're welcome. I'm done. Half my Sprite is gone. So. <laughs> I'm so sorry. We have to end the podcast here. <laughs> okay, okay, well, I'm not going to talk for the back. rest of this. I'm not going to talk for the rest because I'll probably say that word that shall not be no, said. No, you'll definitely say it. <laughs> no, it's a challenge. I've been challenged. Oh, my goodness. It's a challenge. Now, everyone's listening. I have to pay Aubrey a dollar for every time I say it. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> I'm totally um, No. Okay, so on we go. Onward and forward. So what? Let's be extraordinary today. <laughs> okay, so what we really came to talk about is something amazing. I can still say it. Oh, that's I can so say mean. It. Which is math. I love math. Yes. So we are both elementary school teachers, so I just want to say at the front that we're going to be primarily talking about elementary math concepts and teaching, but we will talk a little bit about like the concept of the theory behind our teaching that would definitely apply all the way up even to teaching adults. So there's something for everybody, I feel like. So we're not just going to be like telling you plus sign, minus sign, all of that. <laughs> we're really talking about something much deeper than that. We did have a really interesting conversation the other day about those signs, though. We need to add that in sometime. Yeah, we can talk about that a little bit, about signs. We had some very existential <laughs> argument about about signs. And I won. And I did win. I think I won that. I'm just saying. Well, anyway. <laughs> so we're going to talk about this principle that both of us really believe in. It's, it's called cognitively guided math. So you'll see it sometimes now that you know about it. You'll start seeing it, and it's abbreviated CGI a lot, which makes it sound really cool and it yeah. is but it's not cgi like the filmmaking it's technique or better whatever it is yeah it's real <laughs> but it's just cognitively guided instruction um it's very much based in constructivist practices which constructivist practices are basically what they sound like so students constructing knowledge from experiences from the world from each other from the experience that you give them. What's another word for experience? Thesaurus? Mrs. Thesaurus? I didn't look that one up. Okay, well, I just used that it word twice. It suddenly occurred to me that I can't say balls either. Darn. Because that is the form of the word. 
Yeah, I think it's okay. That was on my list. I'll let you have it. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so let's talk about, I will ask you as if I was interviewing you. Okay. So what would you say, what is cognitively guided or constructivist math to you? Well, um, I think that with when you're starting with first graders, it is allowing them to figure out math on their own without me telling them this is how you do it like this is how you make 10 instead of me telling them standing up there and saying here's the rainbow of how to make 10 which I don't I don't have a problem with that after they've constructed it themselves but you know just giving them items or things and saying what can you do show me what you would do because invariably they will always start to separate them or do something to construct some kind something they'll just start playing with them which I really feel like constructivism is especially in the early grades is playing it looks like playing and when people come in your room and I have a poster in my room that says if you don't believe play is learning you're in the wrong room which I wrote myself so I think I can say it because I didn't copy <laughs> but it, you know that's how I really feel I feel like they're actually learning by using uh, objects in a number without me saying here's 10 now show me how you can put these into five and five they will do that themselves and then they will show they will tell me oh look you can make these groups or you can make this into a group or you can separate them by color or you can do whatever which I think they're just constructing knowledge and I let them have that time Does yes that yeah and I think people have a lot of a lot of fallacy around this is that people think oh you know it's just very discovery and inquiry based you're just gonna let the students do whatever and you know not nothing is really guided at all and they're not going to discover anything they can't discover everything on their own which is true because that's not what we're doing <laughs> so what it is really is you have to set up the atmosphere and the experiences that lead to that discovery it's not just sitting your kids in the middle of the room and saying here's some stuff guys see you at three on the bus home you know you have to have the right tools for questioning and discussion and oh, definitely. other things. You have to, make to it have work. the question the questions for sure. And they actually have a real mathematical reasoning that's born in them. So we just mm -hmm. kinda take it out of them, I feel, when we just pound like here's the steps to do math. And the thing that really is important is the shift from two different kinds of thinking so you could think of teaching as I have students in front of me they don't know anything and I know everything and so my job here is to give all the knowledge that I have to them so I'm going to talk at them and I'm going to give them work to do repetitive work to do and then talk at them some more and they're gonna get the knowledge that's in my brain from me directly from me to them like I'm transferring a file from my computer for someone to truly have the knowledge and understand it intrinsically and deeply, they have to really construct it, discover it, and make it meaningful to them. Which applies directly to math because there is one socially constructed way that we all kind of, or not us, but everybody in the world agrees on how to do this math or this math or this math. But somebody created that, somebody constructed that. And if our students didn't construct that, how deeply do they really know that? And how much buy-in do they really have to that? Yeah. So it's shifting from, I pass knowledge to my students. I am the all-knowing being, and I give this to you like <laughs> I'm transferring it. Yeah. Two, I have knowledge, but my students also have knowledge, and they can get knowledge from 
the environment from each other and from the experiences I give them. So rather than me giving them knowledge, I'm setting up experiences and environments that facilitate knowledge to happen. Yeah. I think I'm a good personal story about that because I remember when I was in eighth grade and I was in algebra, you know, and I just didn't get it. It wasn't, it wasn't taught to me in a way that made sense to me. And so they gave us the formulas. And so I passed the class because I would just plug the numbers in like the formula, but I had no idea what I was doing. Absolutely none. I thought I'm really bad at math. That's what I thought. And I set up that, it set up that, uh, thinking in my mind that I'm not good at math, so I'm not going to take high-level math classes because I will never understand them. And then I remember when I went to college and I got into my first education class and they were teaching us how to teach kids math. And she took out Quasinaire rods and she taught us algebra and all of a sudden it just totally made sense. And so I'm just wondering why we don't teach that way anyway. Like, why can't we get the Quasinaire rods out even for, like, middle school kids who are taking algebra? Because... It just made so much sense. I was like, oh, so that's what we were doing the whole time. I never understood. Now it just like. That's the principle. I'm not bad at math. I'm not bad at math. Yeah, the principle and concept behind all the steps that were thrown at you. Yeah. Because same thing. I got into college and took some uh, teaching courses, teaching math. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. (laughs) Like, and I never thought I would love teaching math. Like I was just telling you that today. I never thought that I would be the person that's always talking about math and teaching math and doing math. Like I, I, when I was going into teaching was like, I love reading and I still love reading, but I always thought reading was going to be my jam. And it was like, yeah, I'll teach math too. That's fine. But now math is seriously my jam because I got to see how cool it is because it's patterns and it's logic, which I love stuff like that. Like I love logic puzzles. I know you do too. I love doing puzzles. I love solving mysteries. I love reading mysteries. I love anything like that where I have to solve something out and Bath can really be that. And when it started to be presented to me in a way where I made those connections, it meant so much more to me. And I see that in my kids, too, that they really have a lot of buy-in to it because they, they discovered it. They took hold of it and made it what it is and saw that beauty in it. And I think once people... So you're saying ownership. They yeah. have ownership of their I think own once, knowledge. Once people do that, once they see that, you really get hooked on it. <laughs> because I, my first year, I taught kindergarten. And I had a really, really good team. We basically just wrote our own curriculum. Like, we didn't really use the curriculum given to us. It wasn't great. And so they really just went with me because I knew I wanted to go on this journey from some professors that I had had in undergrad. I knew this is what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted my students to have that same experience. So I was like, hey, you guys, I presented it to them. And I was like, let's try this. Let's do something like this. And they were with me and we did it. And we all of us were like, this is incredible. Like the things our kids were doing, the things they could say and do mathematically and explain and understand was incredible. We had parents that were coming and saying, we did not know that five-year-olds could do this. And we were kind (laughs) of like, we did not know either, Uh, but here they are. And and they all, the collective thing that really happened though, was all of our students loved math. Yeah. And that's still today. Now I teach in third grade and it's, there's some different challenges, which I'll talk about later. But the one common thread when I use these practices is my students love math. I know there's going to be somebody, if anybody listens to this ever, but I have this conversation a lot. So I can anticipate what you naysayers are are thinking right now. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're saying. (laughs) You're saying nay, obviously, because they're naysayers. No, but (laughs) 
there's a lot of people, again, the thing of they think that we're just sending the kids out, you know, to discover things. I already, I already went over that one. But, <laughs> well, but it, 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 there's a trajectory that goes on. But there's also people that are like, okay, but there are certain things that kids can't just construct. And I will, I'm going to be nerd again for a second. I'm going to go over <laughs> something. I'm going to talk really fast. Like you talked in your cinema. Oh. There's like, this is also a lot of work from Piaget. So if you're not a Piaget person, you're not going to like this at all. But early childhood people are like, oh, Piaget again. Like, uh, yeah, I've heard of him so many times. But there's physical knowledge, which is knowledge of the world around you. Use your senses. Like, Gibby's shirt is blue. You can't see because this is a podcast, but it's blue. You know, things that are your senses, physical knowledge. And there's social knowledge. How do you and social knowledge is like Just joking. our holidays. Like, somebody made that up. That Somebody said that December 25th is going to be Christmas. You know, someone said that. Sorry, am I getting controversial now? <laughs> and, so, you know, things like that. Or somebody said that these are the names of the days of the week. And somebody made, you know, all that right. stuff like that. Like, someone made your name, Kathy, my name, Aubrey. Like, no, our students are not going to construct that my name is Mrs. Hurt. You know what I mean? I can't have them come in on the first day and be like, guess my name. What's my name? <laughs> you guys construct it. from. Now, I can do an activity where they can, like, guess oh, they it. they might construct a really good one for you. Yeah. <laughs> like social knowledge even the names of our numbers so like that the number right. two is called two is a social knowledge because so you're in saying another... learning the number is named two is not really math no it's a language skill it's not math and even learning like this is how we write two this is the symbol of two that's also not math i mean i can i can kind of have the argument with you but it's not numeracy it's really just learning the social knowledge that this is how we write two it doesn't matter how we can Ever make we write anything. Too. Like, That's just how someone said to write too. Like so, Prince changed his name to a symbol. I mean, we could make any symbol. Yeah, it's mean a symbol. Anything. So social knowledge, and then there's, <laughs> I love the name of it, logical mathematical knowledge, which is the knowledge of relationships and connections. And what's interesting to me about this type of knowledge is you cannot explain it or sense it because you can't explain or sense really a relationship. A relationship between two things. This is getting really existential. Uh, stay with me. A relationship between <laughs> two things exists outside of either thing. Right. Does that make sense? <laughs> so yes. we have to help you students. You can experience relationships. Yeah. But you can't. You can't like physically you can experience, come into contact You can experience because you are in it. But you can't learn it from outside. Yes. Yeah. So there is the symbol two. There's the word two. And then there's the idea of two-ness, yes. which is a relationship of numeracy. Two things is what two is. Like, <laughs> two is an idea. Like, two is not a concrete thing, really. Yeah. That you can be like, this is what two always looks like, because two can exist in different forms. Right. So we are very big. We'll just tell you now. I think we'll make, I'm going to make a, a stance. I'm very against the word not even the idea, but the word because of the connotation over time of memorize and memorization. What I would use instead of having students memorize or memorization, what I've been saying is internalize and internalization. So you'll hear me uh, say that word a lot. And what we mean by that is the students have it in their memory, but they did not get it there by memorizing. Right. They got they it into their memory it. by internalizing through experience which some people don't like because it might take a little more time for some students it does not some students really no. internalize quickly for other students they can memorize very very fast so if you had them memorize their addition facts they would look to you in two or three days like they knew it 
if you haven't internalized it, it might take them months. And then you have someone come in and say, your students can't do this. They're not good at math. And you have to tell them. And they're still <laughs> internalizing it. And that's going to move it to their memory for a longer time. And also going to help them work on those problem solving skills. Because I'm going to take another stance. Oh, wow. <laughs> Real quick. I say, think that hurt where tomorrow's <laughs> going to be stance. Well, I'm going to say... And I know there's going to be people say something against this. You are just trying to be so controversial tonight. What is up? In the world. What did they put in your Sprite? In the world of calculators, which everybody in this world almost that has access to a phone has a calculator, right? You have a calculator on you almost all the time. Yes, but we got to teach math in case there's a zombie apocalypse. You know that, right? Whatever. That's what I'm getting to. (laughs) But I am making an argument. That in the world of calculators, in everybody's hand all the time, like, how, yes. when was the last time you, like, came across a bigger math problem, like, in your personal finance or something? Because that's when it usually comes across. And a bigger one, I'm saying. And when we're I math people, taxes. so we do it. Did yeah. you use a calculator? Yes. Yes, you did, because it was convenient. It was right there. So, I'm not saying that we shouldn't teach kids calculations. Don't, don't shut me out and think that's what I'm saying. But what I am <laughs> saying is, in this Ooh. world, are we going to prioritize memorizing of calculations or problem solving and I think we'd all agree that we should prioritize problem solving so which way of teaching math facts for example does that memorizing from flashcards did I say flashcards you did (laughs) flashcards fashion cards (laughs) so memorizing from flashcards or building automaticity through strategies which one uses problem solving skills yeah I'm really I want you to answer it Oh, <laughs> well, let me just tell you, I, I went to, I'm not going to say who it was, but at, at a school that I worked at before, um, there was, we had, um, a person who came to talk to us and he said, you know, I don't care. I want that kid to know that nine plus nine is 18. I don't care if they know why. I just want them to know when I say nine plus nine is 18. And I remember my, the people around me were like trying to hold me back. Cause I was like, Oh no, no, no. And you know, because I'm exactly the opposite. Like I don't care how fast they know whether it's, whether nine plus nine is 18. I want them to know why nine plus nine is 18 because eventually when they get enough experience with it, they will internalize that and they will know when you say nine plus nine, 18 will pop in their head. But it's because they understand the underlying reasoning of why that is like that is. And that is what math is about. You know, finding those connections and the patterns. And it's not done quickly. And it, I, I think that there are programs out there that you give this kid a paper and they have to do so many math problems in a minute. And then you take their paper. And it's just so sad because... Everyone does things at a different pace. And just because you didn't do those in one minute, now you're not good at math. That's the that's what we're telling them, you know? And it just, I just couldn't do it. <laughs> I just yes. couldn't start a timer. I couldn't do it. I know. So. And it's funny to me, because I know I'm not the first person to say this, but we have, we really work hard, and rightfully so, at not letting students think they're bad at reading we don't ever say students are bad at reading you know we always say they just haven't found the right book yet they just haven't yeah. you know Heart had the right experience skills. yet but we don't really do that with math we kind of just in our mind not us but some people <laughs> just think in their mind 
though some students, some people they are just, just math people, and some people are not math people. And you know, you have parents that say, "Oh, I'm not good at math either," so yeah, they're not good. I just be like, "Stop talking! <laughs> Don't say that." So things like that, we really just kind of let those things happen because math is actually more natural than reading. I'm just gonna say that, not maybe than language, but reading math is more natural than reading. You have to be taught how to read. Yes, because, it's not going to just happen. Yeah, that's very explicit because our system of sounds and the symbols that create them was created. Which so is also abstract. Like, yeah, it could be any symbol, but this yes. is what we decided. But that has to be taught. You have to be taught. That's why this I said not language. Like. Language is, does come naturally. Yeah, but we're talking about, f- what, that's how children learn to talk. We don't ever teach them to talk, so that one's natural. Right. I mean, we help them, but we don't sit down with your one-year-old and say, this is how you talk. Like, they just start talking. They start yeah. mimicking you. But phonics right. is not going to really be constructed that easily. Now, you can do a more constructivist approach just to it. We're not just letting the kids here have some toys and go out and play because there is a, a way of the trajectory that we teach it, and eventually we start writing the numbers, and then we start adding the symbols. The, the equal sign, we call it a balance sign. Because I wanted them to get away from the conception that, oh, when you have this sign, the next thing is going to be the answer. Because that's not always true, especially when you're balancing equations. So sometimes I'll write it um, backwards. I'll say 5 equals 10 plus, I mean, 10 equals 5 plus 5. So that they see, and then we say, are both sides balanced? Or, you know, when you're balancing equations, like we'll put 2, 2, and 2, and then I say what should be on the other side, and they'll just make up equations like, well... Three and three, that would be the same. That would be, be the same on both sides, so they're balanced. So they get the idea that that's a that's a balanced sign, and it's not teaching the equal sign. It's not mathematical knowledge. It's teaching them the concept, the concept behind that sign. It's the same way with greater than, less than, and I don't do the alligator mouths because it's kind of backwards of what we do. So I show them the number line, and I show them that uh, if the number is this way, then the arrow at the end of the number line is going that way, that means greater than. And if it's going to the left, that number is less than, that arrow is this way, and it means less than. And so it's constructed on the knowledge of the number line. And the whole thing we were kind of talking, we said we had an argument, we weren't really having (laughs) an argument, it was more like a debate that we do all the time, just to talk. But I was saying, because people teach it as the alligator sign, I think they're very focused on the symbol. Kids need to know this symbol. But we need to get ourselves away from kids need to know this symbol. The alligator to, eats the bigger number, yeah, right? Yeah, which mm-hmm. then they're learning just the symbol. And then also it's just very confusing because it's not really an alligator. And, you know, you're going to have that kid that's going to be like, this is a triangle. This is not an alligator. I don't know what you're talking about. And so it's just weird. And but, I think that they need to plot those numbers on the number line because that's yes. algebra. Well, that's very rooted in numeracy. Instead yeah. of making it about the sign, you're really making it about the concept. Do they really know if it's greater or less than? Because I'm going to be super hippie again, but I, <laughs> if I'm testing my kids and they don't know the sign, they're like, oh, I don't remember which sign, but I know that one's greater. I'm going to say cares? they have the concept. Yeah. They know that I that mean, number is greater. I mean, basically, they could write, is greater than. Yeah, or... <laughs> as long as they know, and we're not saying they shouldn't teach the signs. Don't get, don't come at us. We know you got to teach plus and minus and equal and greater than, but less than. But you can than. teach it as a balance. But sense. don't teach, okay. yeah, you can. Don't teach the alligators. I'm not with that. Sorry, I know. I know some people things. do, and I, I'm not, I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying I personally. I'm it. Okay, you can knock it. My kids are coming to the board. Like I start out the year with a lot of subitizing, 
and I'm assuming everybody knows what supertizing is. The first time we said it, even people in our school didn't know what it was. So we'll give a quick little (laughs) insert. It's instantly recognizing amount, quantity, quantity, not a number, not not the symbol of the number, like when you write two or the the word, but just looking at a group and saying that's two. And I'll give you a really easy way. We all supertize when we play with dice and when we play with dominoes, because you can look at that dice and instantly know that's five. So. Yeah, very young kids can't always do that, and they have to sometimes count. Those are called pips. They have yes. to touch them and count them. But anyway, we do we do a lot of time on that, and I put them up on the board, and I'll have kids come up, and I'll say, how do you see this number? And they come up, and sometimes they want to get really fancy, and they're like, I see three over here and a two over here and one here. But I try to tell them, see the groups as big as you can. Like how many let your brain see them in as big a groups as you can. They circle them, and then we'll talk about the number, and then they actually – tell me what they think the number is and I always say prove it. We use the words prove it and then they have to come up and defend their answer. They have to show us why and a lot of times and I never ever ever say that's wrong. I say prove it and they will prove themselves out of their answer and then they say I think I'm going to revise and we use all those words and it's amazing. Oh my gosh is that amazing? Yay I'm no! right. <laughs> oh, it is, it, it is stupendous. <laughs> how much first graders understand those concepts and just run with it. You kind of just went into the next part. So we were going to talk about, oh, we just talked about, no, it's perfect. A <laughs> lot of theory behind it and things like that, why you should do it and what it is. But then the next question always is, okay, that sounds so nice, but how do I do that? How do I yes. start? So I want to tell you between us, I have taught this way with just cognitively guided practices, number sense activities, all of that, in a kindergarten room with high success, and now in a third grade room with high success in different ways, and I'll talk about that, and you have done it in a first and second grade room, would you say with high success? Yes. So for kindergarten, first, second, and third. We have used it K through three with success, and I know some people are thinking with their kinder babies, it's just not possible. And I'm not going to tell you it's possible for every kindergarten kid in your room. Some kids just aren't, even in kindergarten, aren't quite ready for even school. I know you know what I'm talking <laughs> about. Like, they're just not, they're, they're there for a lot of social knowledge. That's what they're there for. There is a cognitive awakening that <laughs> needs to happen somewhere. So that's fine if they're there for social knowledge, if that's what they need, then that's what they get. But there is a larger portion of our kinder babies that can do this and need this much larger por- portion than we think. And if you mm-hmm. set it up, they will surprise you. So we will say that. So this is some tools. I mean, what kid doesn't know half? I mean, what kindergartner doesn't? I mean, they know yes. math principles. They just Yeah, know. they do they do all of that kind of stuff in their in their life. They understand fair and equal. Oh yeah, they really do. You talk about the, you, yeah, you talk about the concept of equal. They understand what equal is as a concept. So, how to start? We would both say the first thing you're going to have to do is build your math community. And I'm going to talk about this one for a little bit from my two perspectives. So I told you that I started in kindergarten and I had a much different experience with this than I did in third grade. And it took me a long time to figure out why this was. And I think I figured it out that in kindergarten, they came to me with really no preconceived notions of school, what school is and what math is. So they were very open-minded and they were very open and ready to receive. I didn't have to go back and work on any mindset shifts, didn't have any 
you know, just misunderstandings really of math because they just came in ready to go. So you got the fertile ground. Yes, and it was great, <laughs> and we hit the ground running. So building my math community in kindergarten was pretty easy. It was pretty simple because they're excited about school to begin with, for the most part. It's their first time. I mean, you have your criers. I'm not talking about that. But for the most part, they're like, they're ready to be there. They're excited. They're not down about school. And they're natural explorers. Yes, they're they ready. Are, so yeah. they're like prime. That was easy. Building my community in third grade was very hard the first time. And that was because I was coming from kindergarten and thought, I got this. I can do this. These kids are older. They'll yeah, do this. Yeah, I was thinking multiplication. <laughs> oh, this is going to be so cool. Like, this is a really cool concept for them to construct. And the first time I tried to lead a discussion with my third graders, it was like pulling teeth. I didn't know what was going on. I was so frustrated. And I had to realize that my third graders came with a lot more baggage than my kindergartners came from. And a lot of math baggage. And maybe they've already internalized I'm not good at math. They, yeah, they had a lot of mindset problems with math. They had a lot of mindset problems with discussion and talking in class and talking to each other. And it wasn't just their age of, you know, I don't want to look bad in front of people because it's not quite that yet in third grade. It's truly just they weren't used to it. And they didn't really understand the tools of having a math discussion, what that looks like or sounds like, of being just open and mm. free. And they also just hadn't really experienced math in this way before. And I really had to go back because they hadn't experienced addition and subtraction in this way before. And here I was <laughs> wanting to give them multiplication and I realized I had to go backwards. And we had to start with addition and subtraction and do it in this way for them to even be able to get to multiplication. So it was hard, but I did do it. And what I will say is you have to start and don't give up the first time. Don't give up the you second time. Don't give up the third time. Don't give up the fourth time. Like, t wait till October. I'm not kidding. Like, go keep doing it <laughs> until like <laughs> mid-October. And you're going to start. It's going to start small and then it will trickle. And what's going to happen is you need to start building a community of saying these things to your kids all the time and really celebrating these things that mistakes are a good thing. We want mistakes to be known. We don't want mistakes to stay in your head because that mistake gives us a starting off point that's to how really we know learn what it is. It yeah, that's, that's not a way really we a know not. That doesn't work. Yeah, we just know a jumping off point. So we want everybody to be saying their thinking all the time. We don't care if it's right or wrong. Just like she was saying, it's not wrong. There's earlier, nothing wrong. Yeah. Don't say right or wrong. Um, so that will start building building your math community. Do things where your kids have to talk to each other. And then also start a discussion and just don't talk. And I know it's hard because it feels awkward and it's quiet. I'm like introverted and socially awkward, but I make myself do it. I'm like, this is the worst silence of my life. And it's like 30 seconds and I feel like it's five hours, but don't talk. And what will happen is you all know you have that one kid in your class that's going to talk eventually. They're going to say something because they can't stand it either. They have something to say and they will start. And then they'll give the confidence for the second person. You all know the video about, like, the leader. If one person stands up, then all of a sudden... Have you seen that video where the guy starts dancing? Yeah. It's and that then, thing. Yeah, one of your kids going to start... And they don't know why they're dancing. They're, they're going to start talking, and then it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. And you just got to get it started. So building that math community, starting discussions where you are talking minimally. Like, you are hardly talking. Your kids are talking. And you're asking questions. So I try to make myself do this, especially at the beginning of the year. In the math lesson, I try to make every single thing I say a question. If it's not a question, if I feel myself thinking of a statement, I don't say it. So my kids say a lot of stuff. They say statements, <laughs> they say questions, they say 
crazy stuff, you know. But every time I talk, I try to make it a question. And that will really help you build that discussion. Because mm-hmm. if you are posing questions all the time, then your kids, that puts the ball in their court. They have to say something or it's just silence again. And then that one kid's going to speak up again. So that's building math community. Okay, so how do you build math community in your classroom? Um, I think it's mostly uh, basically the same thing that you do. We have number talks. Uh, they talk to each other. Uh, maybe we'll have the number of the day and we just make all the ways that we could make this number. Maybe we use people. We use different things. They figure it out. How could you use people to make this number? How could you use this? Uh, we put the number up on the board. We, um, I put up numbers. We balance. We just do all kinds of things together. Like if I say this many people here, how can I balance the room or whatever? We just do all kinds of activities where they figure it out. And I just sit and watch them like, well, what, what if this happened? You know, and then they figure it out and they really just run with it because they're first graders. They love it. So you feel like even with your first graders, they're still very much more open to talking. I feel like they are. I feel like they haven't been, uh, given that, uh, mindset of I'm not good at math yet, you know? So they're a little bit more open and they're more willing to just jump up they just love it you know let's do that let's do that let's have this conversation and they talk to each other you know and um, of course I do lots of group work I mean small group work where they're working together and yeah. I hear them having conversations and just yes you know talking and then I hear the things that we talked about in our math talk coming out in their conversations so it's really which great is why they need each other which is that other piece of with constructivists and cognitively guided math is they're not going to construct everything on their own but they will with each other a larger group is going to construct some more of that because one kid's going to say something that makes it make sense to this other kid that makes this other kid say something that makes sense to this kid well and i think that's why when i put the numbers the dots up on the board and have people come up and say how they saw them you can hear people go oh i never thought about it like that and so me just standing up there saying, here is this, this is the number, isn't really getting them anywhere, but they hear how, and I think it's important that they hear that metacognition of how other people think. And because I say, think. how did you know? And they say, well, that's an 11. And I will, I don't know that's 11. What if I don't know what that means? How did you know? Show me how you knew. See those questions? You're always asking yeah, a question. <laughs> the questioning. Like, um, just pretend that I'd never seen that before, that I, didn't, I don't know anything about it. Show me how you knew that was 11. And they're like, because you know. And I'm like, no, I don't. I don't know. You have yes, to you have to play dumb a lot. Yes. <laughs> so building that community. And then they go, but you're the teacher. Yes, always. <laughs> yes. And then they start to feel like, you're unqualified to teach me. <laughs> Why are you even here? I've had a kid do that before. They're like, wait, you really don't know this? Like third graders, they're a little, you know, they get things a little more in their a little yeah. attitude So I've had a kid really be like, should you even be the teacher here? You don't know this? Oh, my kids are like, you know this because yeah, you know everything. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't really know everything. Yeah, but. you need to tell them that too because <laughs> that's important. So building that community, um, celebrating mistakes, getting kids to open up to each other. So that's the first thing you're going to have to do is build your community or this won't work. Because like we said, the students need to be constructing from each other, not just you and not just the environment because that's not going to work. It has to really be all of those things, including each other. And then if you're really coming from a very traditional math program and you just need a place to start start with some number sense activities and i'm not going to talk about all our number sense activities because this will be like two or three hours long (laughs) but start with small number sense activities that take like five to ten minutes they don't have to take a long time but that get your kids talking to each other 
thinking about numbers, using mathematical language, modeling math, all, all those math practices, those are in our standards. If you're in a common core state, those are in your standards. Your kids are supposed to be doing those things. Yeah. So start there, start with little games. And I almost hate to say that because not games <laughs> that glorify the math skill and just make the kids do it a bunch of times, but games that are truly getting them to problem solve. And moving games, not little cutesy, like, I'm going to, you know, these games that I'm going to sit and divide these yeah. things. They need to be moving, I Moving think. and problem solving. If they're not thinking, if they're just doing a skill over and over and over again in your game, then that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> now, there is a time and place for, like, a yeah, review game. station, like, yeah. that might be better, but not during your math. Yeah, but for this, for building life. number sense, it should be, the kids should be having some struggle. They should be having that productive struggle. And solving a problem. So I would say start with that or start looking for high cognitive demand problems. So I'm going to shout out the NCTM. NCTM is the National Council for Teachers of Mathematics and you can go on their website. They have a lot of free things. You can also become a member, but they have a lot of things about high demand, high cognitive demand problems, which are one single problem, like not a page of problems, one single problem that's very open-ended that makes the students have to think. And there's a lot of them that you could put up on the screen. Yes. Like, right, the yeah. no, like how many chips are in the box, cover up the numbers and let them figure yes. it out. Yes. And you know. just very, a lot of entry, multiple entry points and very open-ended and just really make them think. So instead of giving them a single multiplication problem, make them maybe say, here's the, even the simple thing of here's the answer and what could the problems be? And then give them some different parameters and put it down that way. I just want to say one other thing that we didn't really cover on our constructivist uh, type of teaching. Um, when I was in second grade, not when I was in second grade, but when I was teaching second grade, <laughs> <laughs> and I had a girl in my class and she was like super, super brilliant. She just, everything was really, came easy Very for her. Very yes. gifted. And it was really funny because she had never really been challenged before. Everything, she just knew everything. And she was really a good kid, but it, when I was teaching this way, she was like, it, it really made her have productive struggle. Yeah. She struggled and she'd never struggled before. And her face was kind of like, what? I don't know this. And I told her, I remember telling her, but if I only teach you the things, if you only learn the things you already know, then you're not really learning. And it's okay to feel like, I don't know how to do this because that's when you learn. You have to have some kind of, it has to be uncomfortable for yeah, a minute. Yeah, it has to have a struggle. And then struggle. after that, she loved it because she'd never been challenged before. And, and at first it was uncomfortable, but then after you realize it's uncomfortable, and I think that's the same thing about teaching it. It might be uncomfortable at first because it's a, it's a challenge. It's different. Yes. It's different than the way you were taught maybe. You know, it will challenge you, but then it will be productive. Yes, it's that productive struggle. And so I yeah. think it meets the needs of all students, even those students that yes. are re need enrichment. I'll give a quick example as I was talking about the high cognitive demand problem. So I wanted to give an example so we didn't just leave you confused, but you can <laughs> Google that. But so for example, I have one here because I have a whole bunch of them compiled and I have one here and see if you kind of hear the difference between this and a traditional multiplication problem. So this one says Nathan's mom has ants in her house. Gross. But ants have how many legs? Do we know how many legs ants have? I'm, I'm treating like a student. Do you know how many legs they have? Six. Okay, we're gonna say that they have six legs. We can t we can have a little debate about that, but they have six legs. Oh, maybe they're <laughs> amputee. How many ants could there have been if she saw between 35 and 50 legs? 
So wow. instead of saying ants have six legs, how many legs would there be if there's 36? And then they're just doing that one problem. You can see with this problem, they're doing many yeah. problems within it. And it's very much more thinking involved. Or there are 24 chairs that need to be arranged for a party. What are all the ways you could arrange the chair into chairs into groups? But you have to have three between three and 13 chairs in each group. Or this one I really like. There are 42 wheels in a bicycle shop. The bicycle shop sells bikes and tricycles how many of each <laughs> might the shop have oh my gosh i just want to figure that out right yeah, now. yeah so that are they doing so multiplication the yes they're doing multiplication they're doing a lot of it but they're doing it in that high more than one problem. way to solve it and that's the thing it's not a plug and play oh well, i'm going to plug the numbers in here and get the answer and i i think that for younger kids too you had that picture and it can be pictures like you had a picture yes, of, of feet or dinosaur, I think it was dinosaur yeah, feet. Yeah, the underwater one. And yeah. so they, you couldn't see their, the top of them, you could only see their legs and their feet and, they, uh, and how many dinosaurs were there. So they have to realize that there are, that dinosaurs have four legs or- It could be it two, could some be of them two. have two. Some dinosaurs stand on two feet. So, but any way they solve it, it doesn't matter as long as they explain They're their doing thinking. the math, yes. And, and you say, well, how, and this is what you say, you don't say, Oh no, that's wrong because dinosaurs have four feet. You say, "How did you get to that?" And the they will explain it to you, and it will be stupefying <laughs> <laughs> the way that they explain it. And everybody has a different way of explaining it, and it's awesome. And it's like their way. You're honoring their metacognitive experience. Yes, and here's the thing. That sounded you really naysayers. <laughs> I bet the naysayers left by now, but if there's a <laughs> If there's a straggly naysayer. Oh, we love you, strong naysayers, but last out I the love end. your tenacity, but here's what I have to say to you, because I know what you're probably thinking is, we have to honor students' wrong answers. We can't no. let them put out a wrong answer. And we're not saying that. We're not telling you to tell your students when they say to you, I think two plus three is seven, to go, good job, Jimmy. I, that's great. And you can go on believing for the rest of your life that two plus five is seven, or two plus three, that is seven. That's not going to happen if you say prove it. Because yes, they but that's what I'm it. saying is I think a lot of people think with this type of, right. you can't see my air quotes, but they're huge, new <laughs> math. There is, is that, no such thing as new math. Is that we're really just letting kids get wrong answers and not telling them. No, we are making them show their process. And yes, there is a way for me to say, hey, I really liked your process and your thinking was right, but let's try looking at that thinking again because I don't know that that thinking actually led you to that answer. And then make them really go through that and really and show And when they to explain you. it to you, when they explain it to you, invariably they'll get this look on their face like, Oh, that doesn't oh. work. <laughs> but sometimes they don't. and that's Sometimes why you, they don't. That's but. why you need your class and you need the good community because then you present it to the class and you can do it anonymously. So you can say, look at this problem class from yesterday and this really makes sense. This person said that they did it this way and all those steps make sense, but somehow they got this answer that's different from all of us. What do you guys think? And then have that community where they go, oh, that actually doesn't work because here they did this and they really needed to do this, it doesn't work that way, and have that discourse that happens. And guess what mathematicians at NASA or wherever mathematicians work, guess what they do? Do colleges. they go into <laughs> <laughs> colleges? At, do they go into a room by themselves and just work on a problem and figure it out? No. They work in groups and they bounce ideas off each other and they put up their their um their work their work they show their work <laughs> show your work <laughs> no i mean but they they show their process and they discuss it like this isn't working and they try different things and they you know they figure it out together and yes. that's what we want our kids to do we want to develop a 
we'll, and you know, we're going to develop them into being a group of mathematicians. Yes. It doesn't have to be done fast. It just has to be done, done. correctly. <laughs> correctly. And that doesn't mean fast. That means we're thinking or we're problem solving. Because in the world, what do, what do employees want? People that problem solve. And so, no, we're not going to let Jimmy leave our class thinking <laughs> 2 plus 3 makes 7. We're, but we're not just going to tell him, no, it doesn't because we said it doesn't. We're going to facilitate that discussion to make that happen. Okay, so we talked about you're going to need to build your math community to start having some discussions. Do not say right or wrong. Start asking a lot of questions and work on your questioning techniques. Um, things like, show me that. How did you do that? Is that the only way to do that? Prove it. Defend it. Yes, things like that. Use those words. Those would be, be and, really and good. And first graders understand them and use them to each other, and it's so cute. And then think about the concepts over symbols or procedures. Don't focus so much on the symbols and procedures, although they do need to be introduced and the vocabulary needs to be introduced. And they we, know they need to know how to write a two. We're we not agree with all that. that yes. They that need to know the not... vocabulary. They all of that. We know that. But try to focus more on your concepts, getting them to know the concepts over those things, and then put those things in. And lastly, our how to do this is throw out your tricks and your posters your poems <laughs> they're so cute oh. i love it i put cutesy things up in my room but they're very different so throw out your tricks and your poems because if you think about everything we've been saying those things are really you saying here's the knowledge from my brain i put it on a poster for you to take in and they're not really constructing it and i will say that i have third graders and a lot of them learn a lot of the poems and psalms for many of the math concepts. And when they get to me, they can't quite remember what was next in the song, and they'll ask me that. Oh, I, we did these poems, but what was next? What came there? And they just didn't memorize the poem or song well enough, so they can't do because these Because they problems. didn't internalize what they were doing. But they didn't doing. internalize the concept yeah. of it. So, not saying to never do poems in your class either. I know someone's going to take it like that. But <laughs> get rid of those shortcut kind of tricks and things like that. And we could talk about this for a while, but we won't get on it, get in on it in this podcast. But even the algorithm is a trick. It's a shortened it's a shortcut. way that someone made to be more efficient. And there's nothing wrong with it because it works. It works every time because the person who made it needed it to work every time and they needed it to be efficient and so for certain contexts you need it a lot of a lot of place value has to come before that a lot number, and when they internalize that number. place value that's happening with the base 10 blocks or whatever you need to be building this place value but also this idea and, of an internal number line so think in your yeah, head they do students like should be knowing in their head when you talk about the number 365 they should be thinking, oh, 365, in my number line in my head, I know that's between 300 and 400. More specifically, I can see that it's between 350 and 360, and it's right kind of in the middle of between 350 and 360. They're seeing all of that because they're really understanding where that number lives, who that number's related to, right. what number it's close to. It's not close to five. They know that. Oh, that's nothing <laughs> close to five. But you know you do have some students, even in fourth and fifth grade, that think, that that certain number, 1,642, is close to 212, and you're like, those numbers aren't even remotely <laughs> close to each other, but they, they think they're that. They're lacking number sense, for They real. need to build that yeah. internal number line, and that 
really lends itself to some really good additive thinking strategies. Alright, so I know we've been talking a long time, so we need to wrap it up. We told you we're very passionate about this. So we're going to talk, go And there's so much more I want to say. I know, we'll have to do another episode quickly or sometime (laughs) over this. So cognitively guided math instruction. I want to challenge you. I know school is about to be back in. When this comes out, should be like school starting. But let me just say, you need to go and watch Aubrey's videos on Aubrey Teaches. She has videos of how to do a math talk. So I have a video about my 13 number sense warm-ups. They're not just number talk, that's only one out of 13. I have 13 warm-ups that I do with my third graders to build number sense, and it's on my Facebook page, so facebook.com slash Aubrey Teaches, you can find that video. And I'm gonna be putting more videos out about cognitively guided math and resources in my TPT store, so you can be looking for that as well. And I'm gonna challenge you, just trying to give the challenge to the people. You interrupted me. I challenge the people. So school is coming back soon. So my challenge, our challenge to you is this year, try to do something that facilitates really deep math thinking with your kids. Whether that's a full cognitively guided constructivist lesson or not, yeah. do something that Start gets small. there and try it. Try a discussion with your students. Try questioning your students. Really hone your questioning techniques. Give them a really uh, high demand problem try some of those things out and if you do we want to hear from you so on my instagram my instagram is instagram.com slash aubrey teaches i'm going to be posting some pictures of me doing some of the things with my kids and we're going to put hashtag cgi math rocks and i will put some of my kids <laughs> on her page yes well, it'll be don't on have face- one yet it'll be on facebook too so if you if you are a facebook person still use the hashtag CGI math rocks and show us pictures of you trying something out with your students this year. We want to look through them. We want to shout you out. We want to talk to you. So give us some ideas because I know you all have great ideas too. Yeah. Tell us something that works great for you this year. And we really, really hope you fall in love with it, that you help your students make those deep connections. And if you do, if you have a really cool aha moment, we definitely want to hear. So get on the Facebook page or the Instagram or the comments in this podcast. I forget podcasts have comments. How cool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so comment Everything here. has comments. Wow. What are you talking about? Okay, and no trolls. trolls. <laughs> no, haters. No trolls haters. come with everything. <laughs> so we want to hear from you. And thank you for listening to this very, very long math podcast. We will be putting out weekly podcasts. So be looking for them. They should be coming out on Tuesdays. Do not hold me to that. Totally. We're still both in the classroom. So please understand. We're both still classroom teachers, full-time classroom teachers. Yeah, we're over summer right now, so we're like all Yeah, we're doing all this stuff, but uh, we are shooting uh, to do our Sonic podcast on Sundays and get it out Tuesdays. So please subscribe and be looking for it. If you have any questions, you can also email me at aubreyteaches at gmail.com. Those questions will go to either of us. We'll both look at them. So that's a good way to contact us. And I got our sign-off. What's your sign-off? Boom. You are amazing. Oh my goodness. My (laughs) sign-off is math is amazing. Natural. 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 Vanilla in the Sprite. Yeah, vanilla in the Sprite. All right, we're done. That's it. That's it. Hi,
Thank you.